There is a God. He wants to be a part of your life. And sometimes that may take a while. Before He can dwell richly with you, you have to step up to the plate. Today, Pastor Daniel will encourage us as he takes us through this part of Exodus, where God's people have undertaken the construction of the tabernacle. It wasn't a quick job, but one that involved intricate work and a conscientious attitude, which we can also achieve. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, Construction. Jesus is We're at that point now. It's groundbreaking time. It's construction time. Everything up until this point in the book of Exodus, and especially since their deliverance from Egypt by a mighty hand, now it's time. Remember, we've been talking about this, that God initiating a desire to dwell in the midst of his people is a huge step in the progression of how God is dealing with people in the Old Testament, as we call it. That, remember, up until this time, God had been outside, speaking from the outside. We think of God on Sinai with all these cataclysmic happenings. God saying, Moses, only you can come up onto the mountain. I'm going to speak to you. But the reality that God wants to dwell in the midst of his people, amongst his people, is a powerful thing. And and really what it does is it reminds us that when God created everything, God said everything was good. God is not anti-matter or anti-bodies. And I don't mean anti-body in the medical sense, but I mean anti-creation. God loves his creation. And God is saying, look, I want to be in the midst of my people. Now, what's fascinating, and you all know this, and we've been talking about this, But the tabernacle was a forerunner or a symbol or a type or a picture of God's ultimate way of taking on a tent and dwelling among us, which, of course, is his son, Jesus Christ. And John's gospel makes that absolutely explicitly clear in John chapter 1, where it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt, it literally means tabernacled among us. God took on a tent And Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, he translates it or paraphrases it this way, saying that God moved into the neighborhood. He grabs the right picture that literally, just as God told the children of Israel, I want to be in your midst. I want to build this portable worship tent and I want to be with you all. That was the forerunner for God's own son, Jesus Christ, God incarnate fully God and fully man, to take on 
the flesh that you and I have, the bodies that all of the humans who were created in his image and likeness had. And God moved into the neighborhood. And the Gospels are the account of what it looks like when God moves into the neighborhood. And you see the blind receiving sight. You see those who are sick being healed. You see those who are overly religious being offended. And ultimately, you see God's perfect life sacrificed for those who are not deserving, you and I. So when you read the Gospels, yes, the climax of the Gospel is the resurrection. But every single chapter and happening up until that point is this is what it looks like when God pulls up and moves into the neighborhood. Powerful. But now it's time. We've gotten all the discussion. We've gotten the blueprints. We've seen it. And now in Exodus chapters 36 to 39, we're only going to take half of it tonight. We find that the children of Israel do what God has asked him of them. They literally built every single part of this tabernacle to the proper specifications. Remember, each time he kept saying, and do it exactly as I showed you on the mount. We're going to find in these chapters, it's almost word for word of what we've read already, but now it's in the past tense. They've, they've done it the right way. And the simplest application for us is, once again, that need for simple obedience to the Lord. Now, I realize that when I talk that way, I sound very much like a pastor, and I hope you would expect that of me. The reason God wants you to be obedient is because God knows everything. And God knows that if you are not obedient to him, there are going to be ill consequences. Now, we, of course, as rebellious children, we think that Papa doesn't know squat. Right? It's like Papa's just a buzzkill. It's like, come on, Dad. That's going to be fun. Until someone gets hurt. And the thing about God's love is that when we get hurt, God will allow us. He'll intervene sometimes, but when you know better, he'll just let it happen so that you realize, I should probably just follow God's way. Now, when you start talking about obedience, always what comes up is says, well, that's a really hard step from where I am now. Because what happens is when we're so used to being disobedient, the way to obedience seems like a long way, doesn't it? Like when you've lived your whole life with your finances out of order, and then you go, you're like tithing. I mean, how am I going to do that? But the thing is, is you're never going to get to where you want to go if you don't know where you're trying to get to. How many times you ever try and find, you guys know this, you wives know this too, because your husbands have done it, right? They think they know where they're going, right? Before GPS, remember what that was like? Or how many of you use the GPS to get you to the wrong place anyway? Yeah, yeah. That happens in battleground all the time, doesn't it? Because there's like 1,910th avenues. And they, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? So you follow the GPS, you're like, where am I? I thought there was supposed to be a, a restaurant here. The only way you're ever going to get to where you want to go to is to know what you're shooting for. And that's what I love about the Lord. The Lord always tells us exactly what he wants. And so if you're way off the reservation, so to speak, on the obedience scale, you just need to say, okay, Lord, the Lord wants me to get to here, so I'm going to start moving in that direction. I'm going to start moving in that direction. But for a lot of us, we're so far off the GPS that we're like, I just can't get there. 
And what ends up happening is, is you, you end up getting five years down the road, 10 years down the road, five months down the road, and you're infinitely more miserable than you are now because you know you should have gotten back on the road. Sometimes it takes a while to get to where we need to get to, but you got to start stepping in the right direction today. So the, the moral or the characteristic of these chapters is one, that there is a God and he wants to be a part of his people's lives. And two, the people have a job to do in the midst of that. And for us, God wants to dwell richly in our lives and intimately in our lives. But we need to step up to the plate and with the knobs that are on our side of the wall, we need to take care of business. And we see here the children of Israel, Moses and the different people who are involved are stepping up to the plate and they're doing exactly what God has asked. And ultimately, God is going to bless that. So let's jump right on in. Exodus chapter 36 Picking up in verse 1, it says, And Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. In verse 2, Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom everyone whose heart was stirred to come and to do the work. And they received from Moses all the offerings which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed, too much. Now notice... It was a free will offering. Now, what's fascinating for me about this is as a church right now, we are in the midst of doing our budgeting. And I'm here to tell you that we are nowhere near where they were. Okay? I'm just telling you straight out. But the people responded to the Lord and gave so much that literally Bezalel and Aholiab and all the gifts, they came and was like, you got to tell the people to stop. Too much stuff. Too much offerings. I'll be honest with you. That's how we know God is in our midst, when we act differently than we would normally act. That's how we know God is at work. See, remember I said this, that you might say, oh, well, it was easy for the children of Israel. I mean, come on. I mean, we're in the middle of a bad economy. And you guys remember that just like a year ago, they were slaves in Egypt. And they had been slaves and sons of slaves and daughters of slaves for 400 years. And when God said, I want to do something special, they just, they just, every single morning, people brought free will offerings. There was no capital campaign. There was no, some guy came out who gives like the good, special, uh, church style guilt trip for people to give. The people's hearts were just moved by the Lord. And so, again, I leave it with you. I leave it with you. If you're not a cheerful giver, why not? You want to be that. Because you know what it's like when someone is cheerfully giving to you and how good that feels. Jesus said in the book of Acts, you're more blessed to give than receive. You know why? Because the ultimate satisfaction is watching someone else be taken care of. There's nothing more glorious. 
I would love, as the lead pastor of Crossroads, to be able to sit down and be like, man, our benevolence budget, we're just going to, you know, we have a million dollars going to benevolence every year. I'd love that. But I'll be honest, we're nowhere near close to that. We're just like, man, how much, how much more can we pull out of this? So the children of Israel, after some 400 years of slavery, when it comes time to build this thing, they're just like, you guys need to stop giving. And so, again, if you're a giver, praise God. Be a cheerful giver and exceedingly so. If you're not a giver, you want to be. And the reason I know you want to be is because you rejoice in God's grace. And God just freely gave his grace. He didn't have to do it. We didn't deserve it. He just gave it. And think about John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, right? That who would ever believe in him. True love gives. It, it truly gives. And so it's a beautiful picture here. It's a beautiful picture of the children of Israel whose hearts have been stirred and the spirit becomes willing and giving is robbed of all of its compulsion. It's not calculating. For the children of Israel, because God was in their midst, nothing was too precious to be given and no amount was too great. And I, I'm just telling you as, as a brother, I want to live there. I want to be the kind of person that at every moment I go back, man, I got, I got more to give. The Lord wants to give. The Lord wants to give through me. He wants to use me. So for a lot of us, I think the prayer needs to be, Lord, make me radically, extravagantly generous like you are. Because that's what it's really about. Giving is about God-likeness. It's not about checking a register and saying, oh, yes, I'm a good Christian because I do this. It's about us taking on the identity that we were created for, that Jesus died and the spirit was bestowed that we'd have. And the children, it's beautiful. They were slaves. They're all given. I mean, how cool would that have been? Can you imagine if you were a part of the children of Israel and Moses comes out and he's like, listen, tell everyone, no more free will offerings. We're cutting those babies off. We're restraining you from giving. Can you imagine the satisfaction among these people? Wow. They're making a stop giving. Wow. I mean, that's such a powerful testimony. But now they have everything that they need. They had everything they need. They had all the materials. The, the lump, for those of you who are, who are builders, the lumber was dropped. All the things were there. Everything was there that was needed. There was all the nails and all the, the joint compound and everything. All the appliances are there. And now it's time to build. And look at what happens in verse 8. And I'm going to read a long section here, so feel free to, to read along or just enjoy my great gift of, of reading in public, whatever your thing is. Verse 8, Then all the gifted artisans among them who worked on the tabernacle made ten curtains woven of fine linen and of blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim. They made them. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits, and the width of each curtain, four cubits. The curtains were all the same size. And he coupled five curtains to one another. And the other five curtains he coupled to one another. Verse 11, he made loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain, on the shelvage of one set. Likewise, he did on the outer edge of the other curtains of the second set. Fifty loops he made on one curtain and fifty loops he made on the edge of the curtain on the end of the second set. The loops held one curtain to another. He made 50 clasps of gold and coupled the curtains to one another with the clasps that it might be one tabernacle. He made curtains of goat's hair for the tent 
Over the tabernacle, he made 11 curtains. The length of each curtain was 30 cubits, and the width of each curtain was four cubits. The 11 curtains were the same size. He coupled five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set and 50 loops he made on the edge of the curtain of the second set. He also made, verse 18, 50 bronze clasps to couple the tent together that it might be one. Then he made a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red and a covering of badger skins above that. Or remember that was sea cows if for some of your translations. Now verse 20, for the tabernacle he made boards of acacia wood or if you're King James, Shittim wood, standing upright. The length of each board was 10 cubits. The width of each board was a cubit and a half. Each board had two tenons for binding one to another. Thus he made for all the boards of the tabernacle. And he made boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side, 40 sockets of silver he made to go under the 20 boards, two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenons. And for the other side of the tabernacle, the north side, he made 20 boards, verse 26, and there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. For the west side of the tabernacle, he made six boards. He also made two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle, and they were coupled at the bottom and coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus, he made both of them for the two corners. So there were eight boards and their sockets, 16 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. Verse 31, and he made bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle on the far side westward. And he made the middle bar to pass through the boards from one end to the other. He overlaid the boards with gold, made their rings of gold to be holders for the bars, and overlaid the bars with gold. And he made a veil of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It was worked with an artistic design of cherubim. He made for it four pillars of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold, with their hooks of gold, and cast four sockets of silver for them. He also made a screen for the tabernacle door of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver and its five pillars with their hooks and he overlaid their capitals and their rings with gold and their five sockets were bronze. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, all of this is in exact fulfillment of Exodus chapter 26, verses 1 to 27. Now, a couple things that we had talked about with the tent. Remember, everything on the inside. Remember, as we got towards the end of this section, the inner curtain, verses 35 to 38, the tent had two compartments. It had the holy place, which was the larger area, and then there was a veil, and then there was the holy of holies, which was a special place that only the high priest was allowed to go one time a year on the Day of Atonement with an offering of the blood sacrifice. So the entire tabernacle, the only people who could go into the tabernacle, the holy place, was people of the priestly tribe. And the only person who could go into the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, which we're going to get to in a second, they could only go in once a year. Now, all of this is symbolic. Why? The only people who are allowed in to the presence of God are those who are the priests. Now, 
depending on how you grew up, when you think of a priest, you think of somebody wearing a funky black outfit with a funky white collar, probably a little hot in the summertime. But the Bible tells, I'm being a little cheeky, but the Bible tells us that we're all priests. We're a kingdom of priests. That each one of us, the, the Reformation, they called it the priesthood of all believers, which means that each one of us, because of the finished work of Jesus and our faith and trust in that finished work, that each one of us are a saint. And a saint means one who is set apart. Now, depending on how you were raised, you think of a saint, you think of, of course, a hall of fame of the coolest Christians that ever lived. But guess what? If you're a Christian, you're the coolest who ever lived. Because the only reason we have anything going for us it's because of the finished work of Jesus. So if you notice all of Paul's letter, he calls them all saints. He doesn't say only to you special ones. No, we're all saints. And a lot of the way God is growing all of us up is to help us understand who we really are in Jesus and that we start to act in accordance with our identity that has been given to us by Jesus. The reason oftentimes we act as rebels is because we forget that we've been made saints by the blood of Jesus. The reason we live in rebellion against God is because we have forgotten that God has invited us to be part of his family. So the only people who are allowed to go into the tabernacle were the priests. And you and I, if you're born again, are considered priests of the Most High God. That our job, like the priests of old and like Jesus, who we are modeling our lives after, is to mediate the presence of God to a rebellious people. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they'd see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's a priestly function. That we live our lives in a world that they see the way we live and they say, hey, I want to glorify that God that that person's glorifying. I want to be like that because they got something special. And what's amazing is, is nobody ever wanted to be like judgmental people. When was the last time you saw someone being judgmental? I want to be like that person. I want to worship their God. If they're so mean-spirited, I want to be just like it. Anyone ever do that? Didn't think so, right? Our job is to reflect the light of God in the world. The priest's job was to mediate the presence of Yahweh to a people who were rebellious. So all of this is about that portable tent. Remember all the sockets and the poles? Because this thing was meant to be mobile. They were going to move around until they settled down. And ultimately, the tabernacle, this tent, was going to be replaced by a, a long-standing structure, which is called the temple. We call it Solomon's Temple, the first temple. And we'll get to that in about 900 years at the rate I'm going. Now, don't forget, that veil separates the holy place where any of the priests could go from the holy of holies, which only the high priest could go. Remember when Jesus died? He cried, it is finished on the cross. And then he gave up, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he breathed his laugh. And he said there was an earthquake and the veil was torn from top to bottom. That's the veil at the end of this chapter. That veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. When Jesus died and gave up his life for you and I, that veil was torn top to bottom. And it's a very symbolic gesture, isn't it? Because it's saying, look, anybody can go in because Jesus was the great high priest. Jesus offers unlimited access to God by his sacrifice. That's the Christian message. Jesus is 
The people's hearts were moved by the Lord, and when it came to constructing the tabernacle, they gave so much that there was an overabundance. That was the definition of cheerful giving today, desiring that the Lord would have everything we can give. We're so happy that you're a part of the Jesus is Real Radio family. Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. Your donations help make this possible. You can become a monthly supporter or give a one-time gift by text message. It's easy. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will explain the conundrum of multiple gods. When there are so many religions abounding today, it can cause confusion. You'll hear about why the God of the Bible is the one. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Tabernacle. Till then, may God bless.